can you can hear me. If you can give me just a little bit of volume, it'd be great. Just turn me up just a little bit. I don't know if I'm loud out there, but I can't hear very much, and my my voice is weak, so I'm gonna need some help. As I was thinking this morning, I, God didn't give me this message till this morning after after He started flooding my heart and my body with the things that the, the things that the people were going through, and. Uh, and then I started listening to the word of the Lord and started listening to God and what he would have me to preach on this morning. The title of this message today is, is just simply this. I put the word crisis with a question mark. Crisis with a question mark, which means are you facing crisis? Trust God. Are you facing crisis? Trust God. You say, well, what in the world are you talking about? I'm talking about crisis. Well, what is crisis? Crisis is anything that is opposing you. Anything that is opposing you. I'm telling you that there are people in this building today that are fighting the enemy as we speak. There is spiritual warfare going. Why? Because we've got parents in here that their children are trying to stray from the Lord. We've got grandparents in here who have, who have people that are not with the Lord right now. We have young people who are going to be going back to school here, here in, in the near future. And they are in spiritual warfare right now right now for the future why because they've got a school that they're going to try to reach for the kingdom of god we've got people in the church that are not that are no longer coming because of situation has arise crisis has arised in their in their families and instead of trusting in the lord they've decided to trust on their own behalf and look and it's getting them into some sticky situations i'm come by to tell somebody this morning that in times of crisis it is not time to hang up the towel it is the time to get the to, to put your bootstraps on to put your belt on to put everything that you've got uh, within you on and to begin to trust in God Almighty because it's not by your power that you're going to overcome crises. I'm going to tell you right now, if you try to rely on yourself, you're going to end up just like the prodigal son did in the pit with the pigs. I guarantee you, he tried to rely on his own his own being, his own self, and look where it got him. It got him, he spent all his money, and I'm not even, that's, I'm not even preaching on that this morning, but I'm just telling you what God has laid on my heart this morning is that, that we've got a nation, we've got a people, you see society today is, is living in a crisis, era we are in a crisis era to where the church is no longer saying that you can that, that you that you have to have the grace of god to get you beyond sin but right now the church is saying that no matter what you do grace is going to cover it so no, so no matter if you come into the house of the lord you can walk right out there and, and you can you can do whatever sin you want and grace is going to cover that that's the problem we live in that kind of era and when, when when crisis comes everybody freezes and gets all all mixed up and messed up because they don't know what to do why because we're the society is all messed up everything is running rampant we've got a millennial generation who doesn't really know who god is i'm gonna be honest with you we've got a we got a millennial generation who the generation before them which is my generation we messed it up and instead of preaching the word of god the way we should have preached the word of god instead of teaching the word of god to our children the way we should have taught it We've just said, okay, figure it out for yourselves. And because we've said, figure it out for yourselves, they're, they're reading the King James Version of the Bible. They're scratching their heads, and they're wondering, what in the world have I got myself into? They do not understand. They're ignorant of the Word. Now, I use that word ignorant. I'm not saying that they're ignorant and they don't know nothing. I'm saying they're ignorant of the Word of God. Why? Because it has not been taught to them. When I was a young man, I was taught the Word of God. And I was brainwashed a little bit. I'm going to be honest with you. I was taught other people's convictions. I was taught what somebody else thought I should do. So when we teach these kids the word of God, we don't need to teach them what we believe or what we think is our own convictions, but we need to teach them what the word of God says. 
And that's, that's not even in my notes. I want to read you a story. Two days after her 17th birthday, Laura Welch had a friend in her car and the wind in her hair. The world was young in 1963. From Laura's music, school, and friends, up to the young couple in the White House, John and Jackie Kennedy. Whatever problems Laura had were minor ones. And this day was meant for driving, listening to the radio, and chatting with her girlfriend. In the midst of the chatter, Laura made a mistake behind the wheel of her car. She didn't see the stop sign. And the blur of onrushing traffic ground to a standstill by the terrible crunching of metal. Laura and her friend were shaken up. They were a little scared. But they were still able to recognize the car that had been knocked through the intersection. It belonged to 17-year-old Michael Douglas, a popular student in Middle Texas. You see, not only was, was Michael a, a, a popular student, but Michael was Laura's boyfriend. He had been thrown from the car, suffering from a broken neck. By the time that help arrived on, upon the scene, Michael was dead. Laura knew it was her fault. She knew that she had made a mistake, and because of her mistake, a young man had lost his life. Devastating? Absolutely. No words to describe it, Laura says now, nearly 40 years later. As an adult and parent, she now understands now more than ever the painful consequences of that moment. It brought devastation not only to her life, but heartbreak to another family. It was without doubt the worst day of Laura's life. How many of you are here to say today, I'm having some of the worst days of my life? I want to tell you, we're living in a day where people are having the worst days of their life. Why? Because the enemy is walking about seeking whom he can devour. He is out there to kill and to steal and destroy. Let me go on. It would be many years before Laura could think of dating seriously again. But romance unexpectedly flourished and Laura married, raised her children, and took the spiritual reins of her family. Notice she took the spiritual reins, so she found something. After that day in 1963, Laura found only one Real strength that would not fail her. And that was her faith in God. Only her faith saw Laura through that day and the days that followed. Never again did she carry a casual attitude about life or about her trust in God. But Laura's marriage eventually came to a crucial intersection. Her two rich husbands shared, or started drinking more and more. And more. And in 1986, Laura confronted him. According to news reports, she laid it on a line to him. She said, you're either going to choose alcohol or you're going to choose me. Laura's husband made a wise choice. Instead of choosing alcohol, he subdued his thirst 
and paid more attention to the faith his wife had shown him. He soon found that a deep abiding faith was worth the effort, worth his investment of time and energy. And today, both Laura and her husband, President George W. Bush, look back on that entire season of struggle as the turning point for their marriage their family, and for their political journey. Laura, however, says that her life changed years before on an ordinary day in 1963 that became the worst day of her life. Now, as I read this story, I begin to think. My mind wanders, and I begin to think, you know what? What if Laura on that day had decided that she was going to follow a different road And she didn't have the will to accept God's will for her life. You see, I just mentioned who her her husband was. George W. Bush, the president of the United States. Not now, but then. But what would have happened if at a very rough intersection in her life, if the worst, on the worst day of her life, What would have happened if she would have said, I am not going to go with trusting in God, but I'm going to turn my back on him and go a different way. Life as we know it would have been completely different. I want you to understand something today. That each and every one of us have have a destiny and a calling on our life. So when that worst day of your life hits when that family member runs away when that person strays from god when your wife or your husband says i no longer want to be in this marriage when you have that miscarriage and that that son or daughter is no longer with you when you're faced with finances that just seem like they're going under when you're faced with decisions that you've got to make when you're when you're at that worst day in your life you have two choices you can either trust God or you can go the other way but let me tell you something if you decide not to trust God and you rely on your own your own personality you rely on your own traits your own characteristics there could be somebody in the future because you didn't trust God that's going to miss the mark because you see if Laura would have went the other way that direction you see she could have had suicidal thoughts and she could have taken her life and if she'd have taken her life, who'd have known? We may not have ever had a George W. Bush as a president or a First Lady Laura, who I, who I loved dearly when they were presidents. Let me tell you what. If you, if you go down the wrong road today, there may be hundreds upon hundreds, maybe even thousands upon thousands of people who might come by, who might have had the chance to come by your path or you to come by their path. But now because you've chosen the wrong thing, they're not going to come by your path. And now you're going to go a wrong way and you're not going to reach those people for the Lord. So listen, we as human beings, we're carnal. We are going to have the worst days of our life. What are you going to do in the wake of your worst moments in life? What are you going to do when your parents pass away? That's a worst moment. What are you going to do when your children decide that they don't want to be with you anymore? What are you going to do when your spouse says, I want a divorce? 
What are you going to do when, you're, when your spouse is driving their, their automobile vehicle and they end up in a crash? And they are no longer with you because God took them on to glory. What are you going to do? I'm just mentioning some of the few. Those are some of the worst days that I could even imagine. What are you going to do when your spouse tells you something that could devastate your marriage? What are you going to do? You could do one of two things. You could either choose to do the right thing and trust in God, or you could choose to do the wrong thing and go your own way. And I'm going to go even further. I've said this many, many times, and and I am very transparent with my life and with with what happened between me and my wife back in 2010. And and, and you all know this. You don't know the whole story. I'm not going to get into the whole story story but there was something that took place in our lives and all of a sudden we are at, we were at a crossroads do we get a divorce or do we stay together and you know what I, I, that was the point in my life where I decided right then and right there that I was no longer going to rely on the world I was no longer going to rely on alcohol because you know what before that time anytime I went through a, even the slightest struggle brother Eddie I, it could have been somebody didn't shake my hand or something then I, w- I would go I, you know when I was young and in, in, in the Navy I was bound to cigarettes and alcohol. So those are the number two things that automatically would hit, would hit me. I would go out and buy a beer and a pack of cigarettes automatically when struggle would hit me. Why? Because that was what I reverted to. That was what I went to. But when, when I was at the worst of my worst, when I was grieving so hard within my body because I just knew without a shadow of a doubt that, I'm, that my marriage was no longer going to be. When I got to that point and I was at rock bottom, I was hit, I was on my knees. What in the world am I going to do? To, to, to do? At that point in time, I decided to do what was the best thing to do and I decided to put every ounce of my body soul and mind into trusting the Lord God Almighty and let me tell you something when I decided to trust in the Lord and some of you know what I'm talking about in here because not my marriage isn't the only one that has suffered in this house I'm going to tell you when you decide to put your trust in Almighty God he is going to open up the floodgates of heaven and he's going to pour he's going to send angels to your way he's going to give you the idea that you need to do. You see, you see, we decided to find some Christian counselors and go to some Christian counselors who decided to put the word into our life. They decided to put books that were written by 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 doctors who have who have who have degrees that that use the scriptures. They they put that in our life, and we begin to study. We begin to pray together more. We begin to communicate together more. We put our trust in God. I've come by today to tell somebody that when you're at your worst of your worst, you need to put. Your your trust in an almighty God because he is the one that has the answer. This old world doesn't have the answer. The only thing this old world wants you to do, oh, you're having a, a hard day? Well, just go ahead and commit suicide. You don't even need to live here anymore. That is a spirit that is running rampant in our country today. If you're going through the worst time, oh, it's okay. Take a bunch of pills, fall asleep, and you won't ever have to wake up again. That's going to be all gone. But I'm telling you, if you do that today, you're going to end up in a burning hell. I feel the Holy Ghost. We've got to trust in the Lord. What are you going to do when you're at that crisis intersection? What are you going to do when the world is against you? When everything is hitting you and you're at the crossroads? What are you going to do? Go to Acts chapter 8. I want to give us a little foundation and then I'm going to read the word. You don't have to stand. I'm going to give a little bit of a foundation here. We all know that, that the church was built in Acts chapter 2. Where Peter, uh, Peter preached on the, uh, just right after they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And 3,000 people were added to the church. Now we see here we, we, we're talking about a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen was, was a, an, an apostle or an, or an epistle. He, uh, he was teaching and preaching the word of God. Stephen was a very, uh, very reverenced, a very respected. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, uh, the, uh, there's a lot of things that are going on in this scripture right here. Because if we notice up until this point... 
The church was staying in Jerusalem. The church had not yet been brought, uh, had not yet uh, uh, went out of Jerusalem. So we are seeing that in, in Jerusalem, Stephen's like the man. I'm telling you, Steve, Stephen is the man in Jerusalem. He is preaching and teaching the gospel. He is winning souls. He is doing this, that, and the other. I mean, he, he is just, everybody loves him. He, he is up on a pedestal. But then what happens at the end of chapter 7 in Acts is right after, Philip, oh, or right after Stephen gets done preaching, he gets done talking about the Lord. Then there's another man who would later become Paul that, that arose. His name was Saul. And Saul became the first persecutor of the church. Up to this point, persecution wasn't even there. The church was flourishing. They were, uh, the church was being added to daily. Every, everything was going great. You know, I mean, we, we've had, we have those points in the church where everything is going fine and dandy. Everything's going great. Uh, you know, the first few months here uh, for us as pastors, we're going great. You know, every, every, everybody was in unity. I'm not saying that's, that we're not now, but... All of a sudden, some things started to arise, some problems. And that's always going to happen. But, you know, right about this point in Acts chapter 7, old Saul rears his, uh, rears his ugly head, and here's what he does. Is he, he has a group of people that decided they're going to kill Stephen, this beloved guy that's teaching the word of the Lord. So at the end of chapter 7, they stone Stephen to death. They, they just stone him. They leave him left for dead. And then we get right here to Acts chapter 8. And this is, this is where I want to bring this message from because it's so important what we're going to, what we're going to be saying. Uh, verses 1 through 8, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose. It didn't say it was already there. It said it arose. This, this, this I believe, was Saul's very first persecution of the church was killing Stephen. And then from there, it arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 2 says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. I want you to understand something. For the early church, this was the worst days that they had seen yet. They were in some very trying and troubling times. Why? Because Saul and his little minions were going house to house and not only were they putting people in prison, but let me tell you what was going on. As soon as they were getting in prison, they were being condemned to death. They were, being, they were given the death sentence. They were being murdered for preaching and teaching about the gospel. This was the worst time that the church ever had so far. And what the Bible says that they begin to scatter, going here and there. This is when the church actually left Jerusalem and begin to go into all Judea and Samaria, Samaria into the ends of the earth, like he talked about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this is when it went off. And then let's go on. Verse 4. It says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. I want you to understand something. Even though there was persecution going on in the church, all those that were scattered didn't stop what they were doing. They didn't, they, they didn't stop trusting in the Lord, but they continued to trust in the Lord. And they, and they went into other countries and began to preach the word of the Lord. It says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were, who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And verse number, I love what verse number 8 says. And it says, And there was great joy in the city. 
The church was being persecuted. It was the worst day they had ever seen. I've got three points that I want to make here quickly this morning. When you're at the worst day of your life, when you're at the crossroads and you're at the, you're at the time in your life where crisis is hitting you and temptation is hitting you and everything is hitting you, there's three things that you need to remember. Now, I, I like to use this word, remember. Every person under the sound of my voice, before I get into this, every person under the sound of my voice has a memory. And I want to tell you, if you're here today, it's because at one point in time in your life, if, as I'm looking around the room, I don't, I don't see any, any newcomers. I don't see anybody that, I, that, that, that even resembles anybody that may not, be, may not be saved. I believe every person in this house is saved. For this, this word is for you today. I want to tell you something. Everybody has the memory of their salvation. Everybody has a memory of something that God has done for you sometime in your life. So when it comes time to get into, get into this time where we, when we have to trust God and we're, we're at the crossroads of life and everything is hitting us all at once and and you know when it, they say when it rains it pours well right now in some of your lives the, the, the rain is just absolutely pouring the biggest drops you've ever seen As a matter of fact it's probably hailing down on your life and you're wondering what in the world is going to happen next well you've got to remember who God is you see, God pulled you out of something because if he didn't, you wouldn't be here. He pulled you out of life of something that was going on because if he didn't, you wouldn't be here. But we got to remember who God is. God is a God of salvation. God is a God of repentance. God is a God of love. God is a God of kindness, of mercy, of grace, uh, of forthbearing. God is, God is a great big God. He's done several things for us. We have to understand who God is. We've all known struggle. Have we not? If you haven't known struggle, you're probably not doing the right thing. Because if you're living for the Lord and you're doing the right things for the Lord, you're going to have struggle. Why? Because my Bible says that the devil is seeking about whom he can devour. It says that. Even to the point where, where God himself said, have you considered my servant Job? And he allowed him to take just about everything he had away from him. Everything, including his own health. We've all been through struggle, but we have to remember who God is. Well, you say, who is God? In times of struggle, who is God? In times of intersection, in time of crisis, who is God? God is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You see, when you're at that crossroads and you wonder who's going to pay the next bill, then all of a sudden you start to remember that, hey, you know what? There was, about five years ago, I was in the same position. About five years ago, I, I didn't know where the electric bill was going to come from. But bless God, Jehovah Jireh showed up on the scene and he paid it for me. You know what? I didn't even have enough money to put gas in my tank to get to church. But because he's Jehovah Jireh, he provided the gas money so that I could get the church to be with my church people. He's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. It doesn't matter what you're in need of. It doesn't matter what, it, what, what you don't have. But when it comes to trust in God when you trust in him he is your provider he is Jehovah Rapha he is your healer I've come by to tell somebody today that when the doctors have a report for you and he says that there's that there's something sister Chrissy where you at I don't know if you want me to announce it to everybody, but when the doctor says that you're, that, that you're on the borderline of diabetes, I've come by to tell you this morning that he is Jehovah Rapha. He is your healer. You're at a crossroads in your life, but I've come by to tell you this morning that he is the healer, the healer of all healers. You see, he even healed the dead. He, he went, Lazarus was, was dead for three days, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. The Bible said that Lazarus was so dead that he stunk, but he said, Lazarus, come forth, and he came forth. He is your healer. 
Jehovah Rapha. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter what that cat scan says. It doesn't matter what that pet scan says. It doesn't matter if you say I've got cancer. It doesn't matter if you say I've got diabetes. It doesn't matter if you say that I've got uh, whatever disease or whatever ailment. God is our healer. He's Jehovah Nisi. My banner. What does that mean? My banner. He's Jehovah Nisi. So that means that when you're going through troubles and you're going through trials and you're going through the conflict of your life, what that means is that everybody around you that sees that you're going through an issue, that sees that you're going through problems, that sees when your kids are going astray, that sees when your spouse has left you, that sees everything going around and all of a sudden they see that you are trusting in the Lord. They see that you are standing firm on the foundation of the word of God that God has given you. And they see that God is your banner. All of a sudden they see that your your reaction is not what they thought your reaction should be you see the world is looking for the reaction of the church that when we get into our troubles and trials we get to our intersections they're wanting us to go the other way so they could say that they were right but we need as a church we need to stand firm and we need to follow God and say no he is Jehovah Nisi my banner I am going to put on the banner of God and let the people see that when I'm facing troubles and I'm facing trials that I know what I need to do and that is to trust in an almighty God my Lord have mercy hallelujah oh I ain't done he's Jehovah Shalom my peace oh my Lord you see the peace is important because all of a sudden when you're getting down in, in, into the nitty gritty and you're at the worst of the worst, that's when we have to have the peace that passes all understanding. You see, you see, I don't know about you, but I can remember very vividly that when I was going, when Christian and I were going through our, 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 our issue in our marriage, all of a sudden I, I was thinking, you know, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to file for divorce. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just end it all. You know, Bob, I mean, I'm telling you, there were some spirits that were coming against me. You know, but all of a sudden, what, when I decided to trust in the Lord, I got down on my, as a matter of fact, I didn't even get down on my hands and knees. I got on my face before the Lord. And I said, Lord, you are going to have to take this cup from me because I can't handle it. And God, you're going to have to do something. All of a sudden, I felt an overwhelming power of the Holy Ghost come upon me. And I felt Jehovah Come upon, come upon me. Jehovah Shalom decided to show up on the scene. And all of a sudden, I got a piece about me that covered the situation. All of a sudden, my marriage was getting better. All of a sudden, my love for my wife grew from, from probably 5% at that moment to about 100,000%. And all of a sudden, God started to restore something inside of me. Why? Because I had peace within. He is Jehovah Shalom, our peace. I'm not done yet. Let me go a little bit further. He is our Jehovah Ra'ah which means he is my shepherd. All of a sudden, when you get into that crossroads, you see sheep are stupid. They don't know where they're going, but they get into the crossroads, and all of a sudden, they just go whatever way they want to. But when a shepherd comes along and shows them the right way, they don't come astray from their flock. I'm going to tell you right now that, that we don't need to become astray from our flock, but we need to, we need to stay, stay steadfast in the flock that Jesus has given us. He's our Jehovah Raha, our shepherd. He is our shepherd. He's the one that guides us. So when we trust in him, he guides us in our situation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know how to pronounce this one. If anybody knows how to pronounce it, please help me. It's spelled T-S-I-D-K-E-N-U. Zikinu. Something like that. Jehovah Zikinu. My righteousness. 
God is my righteousness. When you get in times of crisis, it just seems like your righteousness goes right out the window. It seems like the attack of, of the enemy is all about you, Brother Derek, doesn't it? It seems like when the enemy comes in like a flood, that it completely submerges you in the issue that, you're going, that, that is going on. But then God steps in on the scene. And when you begin to trust him, he begins to shake off the enemy and he gets to put on you righteousness he begins to envelop you in the righteousness of God he is our righteousness this pulpit is too far away he is Jehovah Shammah the Lord is present too often times when Christians get into a, a time of crisis they say where are you Lord, I'm going to be honest with you. That was the very first thing that I said when, 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 uh, when everything arose in our marriage. I was like, God, where are you? You see, I, I'm feeling pain. I'm feeling guilt. I'm feeling shame. I'm feeling rough. I don't know where, where, what's going to happen tomorrow. I, matter of fact, I don't know what's going to happen in five minutes. I don't, I don't know where all, the, all this grief has overwhelmed me. I don't know what's going on. I can't even eat. I can't even sleep. I can't do anything. Why? Because all of this is going, it's called crises. Crises is tough. When we start to go through crises, the body is an amazing thing. We've been learning about the body. But when you begin to start going through crises, there's a chemical reaction that happens in your brain that grabs a hold of, you, of, of your entire body, and you go through a grieving process. I'd, I had never gone through grief like that in my entire life. I had never lost a loved one that was that important to me. Uh, I mean, I, I've got grandparents that have passed away, but I'm telling you what, when you're, when you're in love with a spouse and all of a sudden you think that you're going to lose that, there is a grief process that goes on. And physically it happens. And physically you can't eat food because you get sick. You, you, you can't sleep because all, your mind just keeps on wandering. But that's when the Lord comes in. He says, I am present. I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. You see, Job, when he was in his problem, I mean, when Job... I mean, he had all kinds of stuff going on with him. He was even scraping himself with, with stuff that was scratching up his body and, and scarring him and everything. But, but he knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was there. You see, because God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He has all the power that is resting right in the palm of his hand. How do we know that? Because God made something out of nothing. God is the one that can handle every situation in your life. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. No matter where you are, you can call upon the name of the Lord and he is there to help you. He is omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. Every time you've got a need, every time you're into a time of crisis at a crossroad, he knows where you need to go. All you got to do is to trust in him and allow him to guide you. Listen to this. The worst days of your life do not change the nature of God. I'm going to say that again. The worst days or the worst moments of your life do not change the nature of God. God is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. It doesn't matter what you're going through. No matter what crisis you face, He is the same. Secondly, not only should we remember who God is, but we must remember what God can do. We have to remember what God can do. Because you see, right in the middle of the time when, 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 uh, when Christian and I were at each other and, and it just seems like odds were going on, I had to start remembering things that God had done in my life. And I, I had to start speaking those things. Because you see, it wasn't too long before that that God had, 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 uh, had completely provided everything that we needed because I had had surgery and was out, on, on, uh, uh, out of work for six months. And God had provided everything. You see, he, we've got to understand what he can do. You see, when the Israelite children were facing the Red Sea, they were facing imminent death. It's biblical. Read your Bible. I'm going to go through a few things that God can do. When the Israelites were facing imminent death, what did he do? He opened up the, the, he opened up the Red Sea. Now, I don't know if you've ever studied uh, 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 geology, but the Red Sea is ginormous. It, it, I mean, it, it is amazing that, that, that it, when you study it out, it says that he opened it up. It was probably about a mile long and probably about a mile deep, and it was dry. Immediately, the ground was dry. If you've ever been to the bottom of a, of, of a riverway, it is not dry. If you've ever been to the bottom of, a, of any kind of a, a water brook or anything at the bottom, you know, it, it is not dry unless the sun dries it out for several weeks, days, months, years, blah, 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 blah. blah. It is not dry. So these people walked across this sea in one day. One day day that means that their strides were godly oh come on that means they were being guided by the whole by, by god himself they were, I, I i just have to believe that they were being carried by god themselves you see when you get into when you get when you're facing imminent death spiritually when you're facing imminent death physically we serve a god that can open up the red sea for you when you're standing in front of the red sea and, and it looks like the enemy is coming to attack you and you know that without a shadow of a doubt once they catch up to you that you are going to be gone nothing could put that's when god steps in and he and he he finds somebody that is willing to do what he says to do and he takes that rod he puts it in the water and all of a sudden it goes a mile wide by a mile deep dries it up instantly and they begin to walk across and as they walk across here's what i like even better about that story is as they walk and they get to the other side they turn around and they watch to their very enemy be crushed by god because of uh, because god is on the scene we got to remember what god can do Abraham and Isaac. Abraham took the very son that God promised him that he had in an old age up on a mountain to be sacrificed. I don't know that I could do that. I'll be honest with you. Abraham was faced with a crisis. I'm going to have to kill my son, but I love God more. So what I'm going I'm to have to do something here, but all of a sudden, because of his obedience, listen to me, because of his obedience, I'm going to say it again, because of his obedience and his trust in the Lord, when he, carries his, when he carries his son up to the top of that mountain, and he straps him to this big old burning pile of an altar that he made, and he, he ties his body to it because he knows he's going to jump if he sees this great big old knife he's about to, he, he gets so far, I, I don't even know, Brother Eddie, if he was in mid-swing or what, but the, 
Bible says that when he drew his knife, that he was interrupted by God and that there was a lamb in a thicket. You see, when you're obedient to God in your crises and you trust in the Lord, God will provide a way. He will provide the way for you and he will provide something that can take the place of your crises and your situation. Daniel was placed in a den of lions. Now, if I was to be placed in a den of lions today, surely they would eat me. Surely. Absolutely. They're lions. That's what they do. They, they're, they're carnivores. They, they eat meat. You know, and it's no different with a human being. They eat whatever is inside, inside their, their den. You know, but Daniel, because of his obedience to God, because, because he, he was so obedient in his prayers, and he was obedient to, to not bowing down to false idols. He was not, when he was at the crossroads of, do I do what I'm supposed to do in God, or do I do what the king is telling me? Well, he decided to do the right thing and to trust in the Lord, and because he trusted in the Lord, when they threw him in the lion's den, when they, when they went to find him the next morning, not only did the lions not eat him, but the lions couldn't even get up onto their feet. Why? Because they were sleeping. Because God caused a huge sleep to come over them, and all of a sudden, they're resting in the Lord, and, he, and he's wide awake. And I guarantee you, he's probably on his hands and knees praying to the Lord for, and thanking him for what he had done. You see, we have to remember what God has done. There are many of you here that have faced crossroads before in your life. And instead of taking the wrong path, you've taken the right path, and you've trusted in the Lord. But you know what? It just seems like every time we get to another crisis, it's worse than the last one. That, that worst day that we had yesterday, and now is an even worse day today because something else is hitting us. It's like the old saying when it rains it pours and when it's it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and we've got to understand that we cannot go against God but we've got to trust in the Lord we look at the three Hebrew boys my Lord this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible the three Hebrew boys were thrown in a fire that consumed the very person that tried to throw them in and he was not even in the fire it completely consumed him. But you know, because of their obedience, because they didn't bow down when they were at the crossroads, because they didn't listen to what the king had to say, God showed up on the scene. He, they trusted him, and he allowed them to live. The Jericho walls came down on the seventh day when they obeyed the Lord. They were at crossroads, and, the, and, and they were allowed into their city, the city of God. We look at Job. Job chapter 13, verse 15 says, Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Job was ready to die. He was. But he trusted in the Lord. So not only do we need to, need to remember who God is, we need to remember what God can do. But we need to allow God to keep working through us. Somebody come to the piano. I'm getting ready to wind this thing down. You see, for Christians, giving up is not an option. For me, giving up is not an option. Because giving up means giving up your life. It means giving up your salvation. It means giving up, giving up the promises and the gifts that God has given us. It's not an option. It's not. So when you're facing crossroads... Instead of giving up and letting God take over, you need to keep breathing. You need to keep moving. You need to keep praising. 
You need to keep worshiping. Keep reading your word. Keep meditating on the Lord. Keep speaking to people about God. Keep doing those things. Keep working. Most of all, keep living. When you're at the crossroads, that is not time to lay down and die. That is time to take up your cross and follow him more closely. Would you stand with me? I read all the way through verse 8 because of this. When they stoned Stephen, now I'm going to talk about Philip. Philip and Stephen were best friends. There are, there are a lot of theologians and scholars and people in general who when they read verse 5, the book, the book of Acts chapter 8, they read verse 5. It says that Philip went down into the city preaching. Then it says that there was things cast out of people. It says that there was wonders done and all this. There are a lot of scholars that look at that as a as Philip was overcoming or Philip was just doing what he was supposed to do. But what they fail to see is the scriptures before that in the end of Acts chapter 7 and the beginning of Acts chapter 8. Stephen and Philip were best friends and colleagues. They preached the word of God together. They, they spoke to people together. They won souls together. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got colleagues and the family of Christ that is right here that I love dearly. And Sister Misty, if I were to be in Philip's shoes, Brother Jerry, if people were to take you out because you were doing things for the Lord, it would crush me. It would crush me. Sister Hannah, it would absolutely crush me if you were martyred because of doing something for God. No doubt in my mind that in Philip's mind, he was absolutely crushed. Absolutely crushed. Torn to pieces about what he, he was at a crossroads, Brother Eddie. Do I stay and mourn over my best friend's death? Or do I trust in God and go? And live my life. This is a powerful thing right here. Every one of us in this building. Raise your hand if you have a loved one that is not saved. We love with everything that is in us. It's who God made us. And instead of laying down our lives and giving up and mourning over the very thing 
that stops us dead in our tracks. Sometimes it's the hardest thing you'll ever do to keep on living. Brother Derek, when the enemy is at you, and he says, it's not going to happen. You got to keep on living. When your family says, I've had enough of God, you keep on living. You keep on worshiping. You keep on ministering. You keep on doing, why? Because we have to trust in the Lord. And when we trust in the Lord, and we do the very thing that Philip did, this is why I read verse 8. Because it says that in the end, after Philip preached and trusted in the Lord, that there was joy in the city. It says that people were added. Demons were gotten rid of. When you're at your crossroads of life, don't give up. Because your breakthrough is just around the corner. That person, Brother Randy, that has spoken against you, keep praying for them. Because God's going to bring them back. Every, everybody bow your heads for me, please. It's hard to preach this kind of a message when you know things that are going on in people's families and in the church because you want to be sensitive to the families. I'm not one that likes to call people out. And I'm not going to do that today. But I know without a shadow of a doubt that there are families in this room, including myself, that are going through a time, a worst day. You're going through a worst time in your life, a crisis. And there are several, several of you in this room that before today, before this morning, you asked this question. What do I do? Where do I go? I want to tell you something this morning. You need to trust in the Lord. His promises are true. Time and time again, we as Christians have seen God do things in our lives. And I want to tell you that He is here today to encompass us in this room with His peace and His love.
If you say, if if you're that person that says, I, I'm at a crossroads, I'm at a crisis, I've got decisions I've got to make. I've got, I've got people out that I've got to pray for. I've got family members that are turning their back on the Lord. I, I've, got, I've got people in, in, in my life that, 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 uh, that are just dying. I'm at, a, I'm at a crossroads. I just want you to come and stand across this front. We're going to worship the Lord a little bit. And here, I, I'm, I'm not going to lay hands on you this morning. And here's the reason why. When you're at the crossroads in your life, I'm not always going to be there. When you're facing adversity, there's not always going to be somebody there to pray you through. This morning, when you're at the crossroads and the worst times in your life it's between you and God simply between you and God can we can we do through the fire through the fire your weakness is made strong crises is fire Crises is difficult. Hard times are difficult. Crossroads, intersections, they're difficult. The worst of the worst is difficult. Let me tell you. As a husband and a man, when the enemy attacks your marriage, that's tough. That's not something you can handle on your own. You've got to have God. That's the only way to get through it is to have God. When all you, when it seems like all your family is turning their backs on you, you got to have God. That's the only way you're going to be able to get through it. As she begins to sing, they begin to sing the song. I want everybody just to raise your hands and begin to worship the Lord. God, 